I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. We'll get there eventually. A week ago, a week ago this past Friday, Suzanne and I had the opportunity to share in a Nigerian wedding. It was, uh, it was really kind of neat. The bride was Rose Anyanbunki. Don't ask me to say that again. That's her Nigerian name. And she was Savannah, our daughter's roommate, at Sanford University in Birmingham. The groom is Evan O'Toole, part Portuguese, part Irish. Very big mixture of backgrounds going on there. It was interesting to watch the wedding unfold. It started at 7.30. Now, we were told to be there at 6 o'clock because they said everybody's always late. So we got there about 6.15, and it didn't start till 7.30. So I went over to McDonald's and ate a Big Mac. But anyway, <laughs> no problem. I, uh, you know, in, in, in our weddings, we give cursory acknowledgement to those who are a big part of the wedding party. And what I mean by that is the mother of the groom just kind of walks in last and gets seated. And the mother of the bride kind of walks in next to last and gets seated. And the father of the bride oftentimes comes with the bride to the, to the platform and gives the bride away. And, and that's about all we do to recognize the families involved in this. And well, let me tell you something. Nigerian weddings are very, very different. Let me share with you how different they are. The hall in which the wedding took place was 100 yards long. Folks, that's 300 feet. And each member of the wedding party, the parents of the groom, parents of the bride, the groom and the bride, each came down accompanied by about 12 attendants and danced their way to the front of the hall. Now, for a Baptist preacher who don't see much dancing very often... I learned some things in terms of how to dance. They really danced their whole way down. And the, 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 the attendants danced with them. It was, it was really something that was fun to watch. I had the privilege of being called on by the mother of the bride about two minutes before she wanted me to get up and say a prayer in front of everybody. And so I scrambled back into the wheat fields of my mind and I found some prayers that I had used at weddings and I I did that once more. And when I came back to sit down, one of the young ladies that Savannah went to college with was impressed that I came up with a prayer so quickly like that. And she said, how long? You really didn't have long to prepare for that. I said, sweetheart, I've been preparing for that prayer for 35 years. (laughs) A long time. Then there was this part of the Nigerian ceremony when the bride went looking for the groom out amongst the 250 to 300 people in the congregation. And she just, you know, her whole train was following her, and they were dancing the whole way, looking for the groom in the midst of this whole company of people. And and I don't know why she looked so hard from it. You know, you you always know he's going to be in the last place you look. (laughs) Everything's always in the last place you look. When you find it, you don't look anymore, do you? So anyway... She found him and took him to her parents and he shared his intention to marry their daughter and it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony and and, uh, enjoyed it so very much. That was followed by prayers. Now, prayers by the bride's mother and father, prayers by the 
groom's father. And that was a neat thing. That was beautiful to listen to those prayers for their children and their marriage. It was really intensely, deeply moving. Finally, at about 10 o'clock, we had dinner. (laughs) Suzanne and I decided it was time to go. You know, we're not late-nighters anymore. We decided it was time to head home pretty soon. We hadn't planned on a -a two-and-a-half-hour wedding. And they weren't even married yet. Okay, they, they just had dinner to try to break things up a little bit, and then they were going to marry him later on. So we decided to go, and we went over and saw the bride and the groom, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Someone has said that weddings are high-class social events performed by amateurs, and they're right. I'll never forget a wedding that I did in my early years of ministry in another state, in another church. Uh, the, the bride was pretentiously prim and proper. In a counseling session, she wanted to know whether I was going to say shall or will when we came to a certain part in the service. I told her that we would both know when I said it. Uh, That's about all that that I knew how to tell her. Well, the day of their wedding came complete with a unity candle ceremony. That's, of course, when the bride and groom take their separate candles and light together the unity candle, and then they blow out their candles and leave the unity candle lit. It's a beautiful ceremony uh, that illustrates the fact that two lives are united as one in marriage. Unfortunately, the groom blew out the unity candle as well. It was a bad omen for the marriage, you know. He accidentally, unknowingly, he blows out his candle, then he blows out the unity candle. And the bride looks at him in horror. I mean, he's in deep trouble, all right? He's in really bad shape. And uh, so he, you know, he begins to scramble. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he, he decides he's going to be smart. He turns around to the chandelier that is behind them, the, the candelabra that is behind them, and he begins to pull out a candle. And that's when he discovers he has more bad luck. They're artificial candles. Every time he pulls one up, it goes out. And he's going... Finally, in this high-class wedding, he looks out at the congregation and says, Does anybody have a cigarette lighter? And about 12 guys took their bicks and flicked them up there to full flame. And while all of this was going on, I was just standing over on the side, smiling real big. Yeah, you got what you deserved, you know. Most weddings go off better than that. But the important thing about a wedding is not all the pomp and circumstance. The important thing about a wedding is the sincerity with which the bride and groom pronounce their vows to one another. That's what's really important in a wedding. This morning, of course, I want to share with you the Protestant, one of the Protestant wedding vows that you have there on your sermon outline. I, John Doe, Jane Doe, take you, Jane Doe, John Doe, to be my wedded wife or husband in the holy state of marriage, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. On this Mother's Day morning, I want us to use the traditional wedding vow to share a message entitled, As Long as We Both Shall Live. And the reason that I want to do that is because the wedding vows teach us that marriage is a sacred promise to love one another for a lifetime. The wedding vows teach us that marriage is a sacred promise to love one another for a lifetime. Let's begin by looking at the first of three concepts that we can find in the wedding vow. Number one, married love is to endure without competition. 
Married love is to endure without competition. When the wedding vows speak of the holy state of marriage, it is talking about the fact that marriage is one man married to one woman for a lifetime. The word holy in the Bible means different. That means that marriage is a holy, different, unique relationship from every other relationship in life. It's a relationship in which there must be no competition. In some wedding vows, the words, and forsaking all others, I keep myself only unto you, are added to emphasize this concept that married love is to endure without competition. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all sexually immoral. Look at the first words of that verse. You need to honor your own marriage, but you also need to honor the marriages of others. You see, dear friend, if every person would just simply honor their own marriage and honor the marriages of others, there would be no such thing as adultery in our world. If they would only do that. The phrase, and marriage bed kept pure, is a similar kind of admonition against adultery. It simply means that there cannot be any competition for the love or loyalty of a married couple. They must be totally faithful to one another and not allow anyone to complete, compete rather, for their affection. story about a young man who was attending a wedding. He was kind of green about weddings, had not been to many of them. He was there with his mother. They were sitting in a pew about halfway back. Came to the part of the ceremony where they did the unity candle and the bride and the groom took their candles and lit that central unity candle, then blew out their candles and left the unity candle lit like they were supposed to. And as they did that, of course, the... The young man who would not been to many weddings just simply whispered to his mom, that's nice. She said to him, do you know what that means? And with a questioning tone in his voice, he said, no more old flames. (laughs) That's kind of what it means. Amen? Amen. That's kind of what it means, you know. And so married love is to endure without competition. Secondly, married love is to endure without conditions. Married love is to endure without conditions. Notice the conditions listed in the wedding vow. I take you as my wedded spouse for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. That vow is saying that regardless of how the conditions of our lives change, we will love each other for a lifetime. I think about my mom when I think about that. For the last nine years of my father's life, he was, by the time he died, he'd lost both legs. Totally helpless bedfast and she took care of him for nine long years because she loved him you know she never imagined that the day she married him back in 19 or 1946 she never imagined that that's what their life would come to but she was faithful to the very end and that's what married love is really all about look with me if you will at first Corinthians Chapter 13, great chapter on love. The Apostle Paul shares some words with us that are very, very important. In verse 4 he says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs received. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices when the truth wins out. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Notice that the more literal translations of verse 7 say, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures 
all things. Those Greek words for bearing and enduring all things are special words. First of all, the word for bearing all things is a word that means to cover as a roof covers a house. So Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. That means that in marriage we don't criticize or ridicule the faults or flaws of our spouse. It means that we're sensitive to those, to the difficulties and the handicaps of our loved ones. The Greek word for love enduring all things is a word that means to remain under a load. It pictures the Near Eastern concept of a person carrying their burden on top of their head. It means to remain under the load, to persevere. And so that same Greek word is used in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 which says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That means that marriage, like anything in this world that's worth doing, is going to take perseverance and sometimes even endurance. Marriages go through lots of changes. Time brings most of those changes about. We age and we change in the way that we look. As time goes on, our health changes over time. Oftentimes our financial situation in life changes, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Our families change. We have young children. We raise those children, but there'll come a day when the children are all gone. Sometimes to another county, sometimes to another state, sometimes to another country. And things change. And when things change, of course, you've got to decide whether you're going to be faithful Because in the midst of those changes, that's when faithfulness is most needed. Isidore and Ida Strauss were an American couple who married in 1871. He was the co-owner, along with his brother, of Macy's Department Store, ladies, in New York City. He was also a United States congressman. They had seven children, and they were considered especially close by their family and friends. They often traveled together. And in the years 1911 and 1912, they had been together in Europe. And on April 14th, 1912, they were returning home to New York City from England aboard the Titanic. That fateful night, the Titanic hit an iceberg, ripping a 300-foot gash down the starboard side just long enough to rip into the five watertight compartments and sink the unsinkable Titanic. On that night, Isidore and Ida Strauss were seen standing near lifeboat number eight in the company of Ida's maid, Ellen Bird. Although the officer in charge of the lifeboats was willing to allow the elderly couple to both get into the lifeboat and accompany Miss Bird, Isidore Strauss refused to go while there were still women and children remaining on the ship. He urged his wife to get into the lifeboat. She said these words, We have lived together for many years. Where you go, I go. 2.20 a.m. on the morning of April 15, 1912, the Titanic sank in the North Atlantic. The love of Ida Strauss for her husband Isidore endured even the most difficult condition of all, and that is the condition of death. And today, a memorial at the Strauss Mausoleum at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx is dedicated to Isidore and Ida Strauss. Its inscription from the Song of Solomon simply reads, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. So married love is to endure without condition. Lastly, married love is to endure without conclusion. Married love is to endure without conclusion. In Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 9, our Lord Jesus was having a conversation with some Pharisees about marriage. 
They were talking about divorce, asking him if you could get a divorce for any reason you wanted to. And Jesus replies in verse 5 with these words, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Recently, I was listening to a... Uh, a civil wedding ceremony from another state where when the officiant, officiant performing the ceremony got to those last words of the wedding vow, she became very untraditional. Instead of saying the words, as long as you both shall live, she said the words, as long as you both shall love. It sounded kind of cutesy and creative, but what it does is reveals the deadly flaw in modern marriage. That flaw is the idea that you only need to stay married to someone as long as you feel like you are in love with them. Listen, friend, if we're going to make all of our decisions in marriage based on what we feel like, there's going to be a lot of divorces out there. Because some days you just won't feel like being married. Some days that's the truth. I'm not asking for any amens because I don't want anybody to get in trouble. (laughs) not asking you to amen if you've ever felt that way, okay? I don't want anybody to get in any trouble. But see, love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. Love is a commitment. Let me show you what I mean by giving you an illustration from my world. A number of years ago, a young preacher was discouraged, and he went to see R.G. Lee, the famed pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and he asked R.G. Lee, Sir, do you ever become discouraged and just want to quit the ministry? And in his uh, characteristic southern drawl, R.G. Lee said, My young brother, if I was to take one step backward for every time I got discouraged in ministry, I would have backed into the Pacific Ocean years ago. (laughs) R.G. Lee didn't quit. R.G. Lee did not let the way he felt control what he did. And dear friend, we don't need to let that happen either. Because if we do, that's going to get us in all kinds of trouble. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that married couples should never get a divorce. There are such negative circumstances that can develop in a marriage that may demand a divorce. The Protestant reformers, Luther, Calvin, and Knox, among others, were the theological geniuses of their day. They said there were three reasons for divorce, adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Jesus gives the innocent party the right to divorce in the case of adultery in what is called the exception clause in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew 19, verse 9, Jesus said, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And if the adultery is long-term or repeated, then the divorce is more justifiable. Abandonment is divorce by default. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15 says, But if the unbeliever departs, let him keep on departing. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases, but God has called us to peace. The idea is that someone acting like a believer would not abandon their family. And when talking about abuse, the reformers were not talking about most modern-day claims of verbal, emotional, or psychological abuse. They were talking about physical abuse. And certainly we don't expect anybody who is being physically abused to stay in that abusive relationship. John Drakeford, my professor of counseling at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, was the first one I ever heard use the principle that goes like this. It is much easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than it is to feel your way into a new way of acting. I'll never forget sharing that with 
Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A one time on a trip we were taking together. And he looked at me like I was a genius. And I was kind of buffaloed by that because I'm not too used to people looking at me like I'm a genius. And, uh, but, he, but he thought that was a wonderful concept. Here's what it means. If you wait until you feel like doing the right thing to do the right thing, you'll probably never do the right thing. But if you go ahead and act the right way and do the right thing, even though you don't feel like it, eventually your feelings will catch up with your actions and you'll feel the right way. That's how it works. The story is told of a husband who wanted a divorce from his wife. He went to see his lawyer. His lawyer gave him this advice. He said, listen, if you really want to come out of this divorce in good financial shape, you've got to make it appear that all this has been your wife's fault. Here's what you need to do. For the next six months, I want you to treat your wife like an absolute queen. I mean, bring her flowers a couple of times every week. And help her with chores around the house. I want you to take her to the finest restaurants in the city at least once a week. And then take her for a nice weekend away at least once a month. And then after six months you can announce that you are getting a divorce from that wicked, unappreciative woman. And everybody will think it's her fault. And the husband said, wow, what a plan. I'm going to do exactly that. And so he began his six-month venture. He brought her flowers a couple of times every week. He helped her with chores, all kinds of chores around the house. Took her to the finest restaurants in their town. Took her for a couple of getaways almost uh, once a month, once every month. Finally, at the end of that six months, his attorney called and said, I've got the divorce papers completed. Are you ready to be a free man? And that husband said, Are you crazy? Why, well, I'm married to an absolute angel. I would never divorce her. Who changed? The husband or the wife? Well, I suggest to you that both of them probably did, but I'll tell you who started first. It was the husband. He changed first, and because he changed the way his wife treated him, she changed the way she treated him. See, dear friend, when we act like we love our spouse, then we'll come to love our spouse. And fellas... You need to go home and do likewise. I'm not saying it to the ladies here this morning because this is Mother's Day and if I give them too hard an assignment, I'm going to get a frowny face on Facebook. Okay? Don't want to do that. But I can say it to the guys this morning because this ain't your day. Okay? This is your wife's day. So go home and do likewise. Treat her like you love her and guess what? You'll love her. Ladies, treat him like you love him. And you'll love him too. As we close this morning, it's no accident that the Bible envisions the relationship between Christ and His church like a marriage. It's because marriage is the most meaningful, the most intimate, and the most beautiful relationship of all of life. Jesus died for our sins, dear friend. And that beautiful relationship with Him all starts with a vow of commitment, like the wedding vow that says, I, a sinner, take you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord for both time and eternity. Does somebody need to make that vow this morning? Does somebody need to make that vow this morning? Give their heart to Christ? I hope you'll do that, if that's what you need. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us today. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us now to make the decisions that would please you. 
We ask, Father, that you will uh, work in our hearts and work in our lives through this time. And we pray that if there's anyone here today, that your spirit would convict them and bring them to faith in Christ because that's the most important thing that they can do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.